you never know. Like if you don't publish anything, you're not going to get anything. But the more you publish, the more you're kind of creating that surface area of luck and for opportunity to find you. And so that's what I mean by, you know, the Twitter lottery. It's not saying you just spam tweet everything that comes to your mind. You got to be strategic about it, but that that's kind of the how I think about, you know, online marketing and, you know, content strategy. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 148 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Dylan Redekop, the founder of Growth Currency Newsletter, which helps creators start, grow, and monetize their newsletters. During this interview, you will learn how to grow an audience on Twitter that is interested in what you're working on, how to launch and promote your newsletter, and what the best way to actually write and publish a newsletter in 2022 is. If you're interested in growing a newsletter business, then this is an episode that you do not want to miss. I promise you, this is a ton of fun, and Dylan is somebody who knows a lot about the newsletter online business. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure that you subscribe, leave a review, and share it on social media. I love to see what you found interesting in each interview, and we'll reshare your posts and may even read your review here on the podcast. Now, one last thing before we jump into this interview. I'm very happy to announce that I have partnered with Maven to produce a two-week live course that will teach you how to improve your chances at building a profitable online business. You'll also learn how to create a business with built-in clients, how to develop your pitch and price your services, and much, much more. I've taught these principles to hundreds of students in the past with glowing reviews, and now I'd love to teach you as well. If this sounds like something you're interested in, head over to thatremotelife.com forward slash maven, M-A-V-E-N, where you can fill out a short survey. This survey will help me gauge interest for the course and is in no way a commitment of purchase. It's just a way for me to collect some information to make sure that this course is what you're looking for. The survey will take you less than two minutes and I would really, really appreciate it. Again, that link is thatremotelife.com forward slash maven spelled M-A-V-E-N. And thank you so much for taking the time to do that. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into today's awesome interview with Dylan Redekop. All right, Dylan, welcome to the podcast, man. I am super excited to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really equally excited to be here. So we were talking about before we hit record, we connected on on Twitter and we were even saying like, I don't, I'm not sure how I found you and I started following you. Like, I think it was like <laughs> Jay or Arvid, I'm not sure, but how have, so I got really like a few months back, I, I've had a Twitter account for like forever, but never really used it. And then I started diving into it again because more and more of like my, my friends who are smart and interesting, this is going to sound so bad, but they were on Twitter and I was like, is there something going on here that I'm missing? Uh, and so I started jumping in there and I'm just loving the quality of the conversations and the quality of the network is just so much higher. I feel like than 
elsewhere on social media. Did you have a similar feeling? And like, how did you, what made you decide to kind of go heavy into Twitter as opposed to like another social media network? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's a really good place to start too. Um, it's kind of the growth currency journey sort of started on Twitter as well. So um, as you and most people did in uh, you know the spring of 2020, I started spending more time on Twitter. And um, you know, for better or worse, I was doom scrolling like everybody. But I eventually was like, I want to actually make something out of this and you know, make some connections and and create some opportunities for myself to some degree. So I just kind of started taking it seriously, as they say, and um, engaging with people who were interested in some of the same stuff I was, like you know, side businesses, uh, personal finance. Um, I wasn't really into you know online creating at that time, so to speak. But I was into, you know, kind of like the money Twitter sort of realm and that sort of thing. So um, that's where I started taking Twitter a little bit seriously. And that was, that would have been like June 2020 kind of thing. And then it took me about nine months and I really found this really tight knit creator community on Twitter. It's kind of like a marketing slash creator, um, which you mentioned Arvid is a part of, Jay is a part of, and there's a number of other really smart, interesting people um, that are a part of that that community. So that's kind of my really short story on how I got woven into there, into that mix. Yeah. And that's, that's Jake Klaus for people who are wondering like, who is this Jay guy? Yes. I think if you search Arvid, you're going to find <laughs> Arvid call. So we don't have to so much like, you know, say yeah. who that is, but uh, how did you, what is your background? Like, how did you, I know that you said that you started like looking into this stuff in, in 2020, but what, like, what did you do for a living before? What's your background? Yeah, so it's still nothing that I do for a full-time living. Um, my, you know, my newsletter brings in a little bit of income, but it's very marginal. I have a full-time job as a, a professional marketer, so I, that's my nine-to-five day job. So I had some experience um, with marketing, with some content strategy and social media strategy, but I have the most fun playing that game, if you will, for myself. <laughs> I'm more, I, for whatever reason, I'm just super motivated, inspired to like really, um, I don't really play, you know, the, the Twitter lottery, if you will. And so I kind of wanted to see if I put time and attention into it. Do you, are you familiar with Packy McCormick from Not Boring? I don't think so. The newsletter? No? no. Okay. So Packy McCormick, um, he's like, a, a, you know, David Perel, the yes. um, write the ship. Yes. Okay. So David Perel has write the ship. Uh, Packy McCormick is one of the students of Write the Ship. And from there, he started this uh, newsletter. It was a finance and investment-based newsletter called Not Boring. And his whole angle was, I'm going to talk about the really boring stuff, but make it not boring. And he's just wildly grown that newsletter to over 100,000 subscribers. He's got, you know, he makes a lot of money on paid sponsorships. It's his full-time job now. Um, And so... Uh, he had a year ago, he had an article that t- said, you know, every tweet you publish is a free lottery ticket. And I thought that was really insightful because you never know, like if you don't publish anything, you're not going to get anything. But the more you publish, the more you're kind of creating that um, surface area of luck and for opportunity to find you. And so that's what I mean by, you know, the Twitter lottery. Um It's not saying you just spam tweet everything that comes to your mind. You got to be strategic about it. But that, that's kind of the how I think about, you know, online uh, marketing and, you know, content strategy. Yeah, it's interesting that you put it that way because it is true. Like you can, 
and I think there's things that you can do to, and we're going to talk about newsletters, by the way. So uh, your, your specialty <laughs> is newsletters and, and, and email, and we're going to talk all about that because it's something that I'm also very interested in. Um, since I've started my newsletter, Remote Insider, which I've taken like way more seriously than I have before. Uh, so I'm very interested to talk nice. to you about that. But I do think that like Twitter, it's like almost in today, I feel like Twitter and newsletters kind of go hand in hand in some way, especially because they have that that review thing built in now. Um, but with yeah. Twitter, like I think there's things that you can do to improve your chances of, you know, like winning that Twitter lottery, hopefully. What are some of the things in your yeah. opinion that that you've seen or that you've done to to maybe hit a little bit of that? Like what are some of your Twitter growth tips, so to say? Yeah, I um that's a that's a great question because I'm I'm actually not I've got about, you know, 5700 followers on Twitter and for taking it seriously for 2 years, that's, you know, pales in comparison to, you know, a lot of people who've really, you know, done well on the platform. Um so I'm I'm not a thread, a, a Twitter thread, viral thread writer. Um, I've tried it a little bit and I haven't really uh, had any threads that have gone super viral. I had one that got me about, um, probably about a hundred followers in a day, which was great. But really other than that, it's been more of just trial and error, being very, um, basically being helpful, providing a lot of value. And people say, well, what does that mean providing value? It just means basically publishing stuff that, you are working on that is um, you're finding success with that other people could replicate, whether it's frameworks or tips or strategies, whatever it might be. Um, I really try to share as much as I can in that regard. And then also engage with, you know, fellow creators and talk to them and share insights and lift them up and share their, what they're working on as well. Like there is, there is the, you know, reciprocity in marketing. So if you, you give a lot, people, um, people will give back. So I try to follow those mantras as much as I can. And then one of the biggest, um, I think a lot of people are, when they first start Twitter, they sleep on DMs. And I think DMs are, back in the day, maybe they were seen as a little bit, maybe, I don't know, cringe or creepy a little bit. Um, some pe- you'd, get, you'd get some weirdos and bots in your DMs a lot, just promoting spam and stuff like that. But I find it's actually a lot less these days. And most people that hit me up in my DMs are really just like, you know, legit people asking questions about stuff I've tweeted or want to know, um, you know, want some tips or advice or anything like that. And I also, you know, hit up people in DMs saying, hey, I love the tweet you shared um, and uh, would love to connect with you or, you know, stuff like that. So I think DMs are super important for building um, a, a little bit of a deeper, I guess, rapport and relationship with people on Twitter too. Yeah, I do think people are very afraid to use DMs and I like I will just do it sometimes and I, I'll even like mm-hmm. message people who I don't like who I don't realize how big they are sometimes and I just like some of their <laughs> stuff and I'll hit them up on DM and then somebody's like, "Oh, you know that's like a really famous person in their industry." And I'm like, "I had no idea." And then they respond, right? Because like everyone is sort of yeah. afraid to message those people. Uh, and then they respond, you know, and you're just the the one that messaged them because you were like, oh, I didn't know you were like such a big deal, and you just sent them a message anyways. But I don't know. Do you know who Sam Parr is? You shouldn't Sam Parr like oh yeah absolutely yeah. So they have this great podcast um called My First Million. I don't know if you've checked it out. It's been like all over my suggested list, and I've never really listened to it. I've seen a few outtakes, but I just 
So this week I got really deep on it and I'm like, this is a great podcast. Like I'm really enjoying listening to them. But there was there was a really interesting thing that he talked about in terms of Twitter because he has two people that have worked from him, worked for him. One is Steph Smith, and then the other one is this guy whose name is um Trang Fan. I, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Trung Fan. Yeah. Trung Fan. Yeah. So they've they've both worked for the hustle, and he said I kind of showed them the way that I've used Twitter to like create Twitter content. And they've both kind of blown up following that uh, that model. And it's interesting because he did it with this NHL player. And what he did with them was yeah. they would sit down on an hour-long call and be like, okay, tell me about your life. And then he starts telling him about his life. And then Sam will be like, oh, what, what was that you just said? What was this, this thing that you mentioned? They're like, oh, it's just like an offhand comment to this guy because he's mm-hmm. like used to like whatever this history is. But to other people, it can be really important. I'm kind of butchering it, but essentially, sometimes like the stories that we think are really boring or kind of mundane to someone else can be really mm-hmm. interesting. And kind of breaking that down in a in like a tweet is a really great way to kind of like build your brand. So I thought that was really interesting. Yes. Um, as like as like a strategy. I mentioned earlier I was in the Ship Thirty for Thirty cohort uh, about a year ago, and one of my essays was. Uh, the title was your mundane could be somebody else's breakthrough. So essentially it's like share kind of mundane aspects of your life. And yeah, they might not hit, they might be boring and most people might know them, but you never know where somebody would be like, Whoa, wait, what did you just do? Like you just like go through your workflow and you do a shortcut or you, you mention like a model, uh, a framework or a, a, a mental model that you know, and people are just kind of like, Whoa, that is like a mindset shift. I'd never thought of that. And to you, it's just like, Oh, I've known that for a long time, but um, I think it's important to to really share. We get this curse of knowledge or um, this knowledge blindness that we don't realize that we know more maybe than other people about certain things. So yeah, it's it's uh, definitely something. That's something you can really easily do in your day-to-day if you want to start maybe trying to grow on Twitter is just share kind of some mundane aspects of your of your day, of your workflow, of your life, of your career. And uh, you never know what uh, might grab people. Yeah, my wife has been really pushing me to share like my immigrant story because like whenever people ask me about that I'm like I don't it's like so many people do it like this isn't really that interesting but like there's been times when people have asked me about it and I'll start telling them and they're like wait hold on you mean you moved into an apartment you had three forks three knives three spoons like your first furniture was like from like a trash bin like whatever people like that's so interesting I'm like eh it's like every immigrant goes through that like you know but yeah she's been kind of pushing me more about it. And she's like, that's such an interesting story. You should tell it. So I've been crafting a, mm-hmm. a, a thread about, uh, about exactly that. Cause there is an interesting thing that I realized, which is that I did that. Like my family immigrated to the United States before Google. So every immigrant okay. since then kind of has this ability to actually Google the place they're going to, or like use like maps view to like, look at what their place looks like or whatever. And we just moved not knowing anything. And so I realized that we were maybe the last wave of immigrants that immigrated to a new place, not knowing where we were going or really having, you know, social media. It's like, let me look at what Cincinnati looks like on Instagram or whatever. So that's fascinating. That's a really good point. That's a good angle too. Um, You could uh, just sort of like, you know, the, the last, the last uh, pre-Google immigrant, immigration um wave or you know like yeah, yeah you know yeah. angle it that way because that that is true like there was this like before and after google era right and 
Um, and you would have been definitely, would that have been like a uh, late nineties kind of thing or mid nineties? No, it was, it was Oh four. And I remember, Oh four. Okay. I remember Google not being a thing because my dad said he, so we moved to Cincinnati, which is like a weird spelling in, in, you know, in English. And he was like, mm-hmm. I was going to say Googling, but he wasn't Googling. He was using like Alta Vista or something <laughs> and misspelling yeah. it because it's like a weird spelling. And nothing was coming back. Like there were no search terms coming back. And he's like, "What? Like, what is this town? Where are we moving? Like, why is nothing like coming up? You know?" So we were kind of like, <laughs> had no idea where we were going. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, wow. a funny story. But let's let's shift over to newsletters because I am interested to hear about you know why you actually decided to focus on this. So like you said, you have marketing background. You've been doing that for for a while as your full time job. Why focusing on newsletters specifically? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a, a quick background as to why I started a newsletter and why I focused on that. Um, in a past life, I had tried starting up blogs. Um, I had tried a few times. I wrote a blog, a music blog for, you know, from 2010 till 2013 and just for fun. Like it was a passion project um, and it didn't really go anywhere and I didn't plan. It was just something I wanted to, you know, write about and enjoy doing. And I got some like free CDs and went to some free concerts and, and it was great. And then um, in about 2018, I dramatically changed my diet and I really started taking exercise seriously and, you know, went gluten-free and cut out a lot of sugar, processed sugar and that sort of thing. And, you know, I saw a pretty significant weight loss and um, energy change. And so I was like, I'm going to write about this. So I, you know, I bought a domain. um, uh, I, I bought hosting for a WordPress site. I bought a theme. I tried customizing it all myself. And I started writing blog posts and trying to share it on Instagram and social media and Twitter and stuff like that. And man, it was such a slog. And it, it was like, I was putting in a lot of effort and I was getting nothing back. And yeah, I probably quit a little bit too soon, like by rights, but just like my WordPress theme would keep breaking and it looked like complete trash on the sidebar. And I was just super frustrated. And so when um, when I was telling you about taking Twitter seriously again in kind of the fall of 2020, this thing called Substack was like really blowing up. I was seeing it everywhere. Everyone was creating a Substack account. And so I realized like I could create a newsletter um, hosted for free. And I could also basically, it could second as a blog. So you can have a Substack feed and people can read that. And I don't have to worry about WordPress. I don't have to worry about paying for hosting, paying for buying a domain, all that stuff. I could just like sign up for account, publish. If I had content ready, I could just paste it in and publish it almost instantly. And to me, that was like, no friction. I'm there. Where do I sign up? Let's go. And so that was really the reason why I started with a newsletter because I tried the other stuff before. I had no success, nothing but frustration. And I was just like, I'm done with that. I got to try something different, something that's going to be low friction that I can actually sustain. So yeah, that would have been um, December, 2020. I kind of started my, I published my first edition, but it wasn't really an official edition. I just kind of published something on Substack to see how it worked. And then January 19th of 2021 was my first official uh, growth currency edition. So let me ask you this because where my mind, my immediate question to that and I'm assuming also a lot of people listening to this, their their first immediate question is like, okay, sure, there's less friction on, on creating content than you know having to set up a WordPress site, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like there's more friction on discoverability, right? Because on a blog, yeah. at least you have SEO going for you. People can Google and like find it. 
on a newsletter, there's really no, like, it, that's not as easy. So how do For people sure. then discover your newsletter? Unless you're like, you know, if you don't have some massive audience on, on Twitter or Instagram or yeah. whatever it may be, how then do people find, how do you deal with that friction point? Yeah, that's, and that is a, a bit of a point of friction for sure. So um, I was fortunate in that I just started it as sort of a, a whimsical journey. Like I had no real goals or concrete goals. My only goal was to myself and it was to publish one edition a week for a hundred weeks in a row. And really that was like, that was what I, um, that was kind of my cornerstone, my North, my North star goal and metric. And if it grew and it grew, it was successful, then great. But at the very least, I wanted to try it and not give up, um, you know, after three months and just like, ah, this didn't work. I wanted to like really stick with this and give it, give it a shot. So that was, that was more the reason I went with a newsletter. I'm not saying, um, that it's the right path for everybody, but, um, I do think that if you're not really sure where to start, you maybe have a story to tell or content to share. That's why I'm pretty bullish on newsletters because there is that real low friction and you can get started um, collecting email addresses, which like that's really kind of, I'm not going to say it's a main point of a blog, but really like you want people to come to your blog and you want them to subscribe to your newsletter so you can get in contact with them. You don't want them to just bounce to your blog, read an article, get the information and leave and never come back. Um, really one of the main goals of a blog is to, Sure, maybe sell something, but to get people on a newsletter and email list, right? Um, we talk a lot about uh, platform risk and, you know, with Elon Musk buying Twitter, the future there is, we don't know what the future is um, for Twitter. So I think it's just that much more important to have a newsletter. And for me, I'm kind of like, well, I'm just cutting to the chase. Like I'm not getting like, you know, I'm not growing my SEO to thousands and thousands of site visits, but I'm also not like, I don't rely on AdSense. Um, and I don't have a ton of affiliate, you know, um, products to really flog either. So for me, it was like the most important thing to me is an email address and getting somebody on my email list because I know that that will benefit me down the road. So that was my mentality going into newsletters. And that's why I think um, newsletters are still kind of slept on a little bit. They are, they are growing way more than they ever have been. But uh, when people think, oh, it's a saturated market, I still think there's room for there's room for a lot more people. Well, and like the thing about newsletters and specifically about email is it's such a, um, a primary building block of the internet, right? Like one thing that we that I talked about yeah. uh, on the podcast before is like the IRS or the government or your bank or whoever it may be is going to talk to you through email, right? Like they're not going to send you a DM on Instagram with like, Hey, by the way, like you need this information <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And so because of that, everyone is still required to have an email and it's still almost like, even though it's by no means the, the newest or the, or the best mode of, um, communication on the internet, it's kind of like still this thing where everyone has an email and everyone checks their email every day. Uh, no matter how much you hate checking email because like important things come in there. And so it's kind of like a very important for sure. touch point for, for people. What are the, you know, like you said, you started out the newsletter initially just for fun, but obviously now it is, uh, you know, transformed into, into somewhat of a, like a side hustle. Right. So how are you growing? Yeah. Like, what are your best ways of getting your newsletter in front of new people? 
There's a few things that um, I've been intentional about and a few things that I've just been lucky about. So uh, the main thing I, what I do is I just, the main thing I can control is how much I publish and how much I post and promote, right? Um, so those are kind of the main two things. If you want to be discovered, you need to actually publish something and you need to actually promote it as well. So, um, you know, those are kind of the, the key things that I, I focus on. But beyond that, um, really some of the main ways that I, I believe I've grown is really trying to um, create high value quality content that other people are willing to share. Um, you know, every week I typically get some half decent retweets from people who've read my newsletter and want to share it on Twitter to their audiences. Um, I've been featured in other newsletters who are, you know, curating links just like I am. So Josh Spector has, you know, done me tons of favors by featuring a lot of um, links that I've shared and then given me a shout out in his newsletter of, you know, almost 20,000 people. Um, so stuff like that has helped. And that's where the luck part comes in. Um, and so I feel like there's an element of, um, like I said, an element of luck, but also, you know, you have to, you have to be somewhat tactical about it and actually promote, publish and do the work. A few other things that have worked are cross promotions, um, reaching out to other newsletters, subscribe or sorry, newsletters, and, you know, usually around your size. Um, say if you have a thousand subscribers, you wouldn't reach out to somebody who has, you know, 50,000 or 10,000, maybe you'd reach out to somebody who's maybe in the same ballpark as you and try to do a cross promotion because, um, usually that's free and, it's a win-win for, for both people. So those have been other ways that I've been able to um, capitalize on, I guess, on uh, newsletter growth. And then the last one is with lead magnets. And that's kind of one of the more popular methods. And I think probably probably one of the best methods, unless you're like an, a really ace Twitter viral thread writer and you can really nail a thread and get it to go viral, plug your newsletter into the bottom of that thread, that's gonna um, dramatically increase your signups. However, um, that's a lot trickier to do. And so lead magnets are a little bit more of a surefire way, I think, to get new subscribers. So um, you're familiar with the term lead magnets, I imagine. And I would think most of your audience is, but if you don't know, it would be like basically a free resource that you provide somebody in exchange for their email address. So that could be anything from like a PDF guide, a downloadable white paper, checklist, that sort of thing to maybe a they fill out a quiz and they need to give you their email address for the results. Uh, maybe it's a challenge that they sign up for or a free community. Um, all of those things, a free email course, for example. So all of those things would be considered as free lead magnets. Yeah. Lead magnets are one of those things that everyone has heard of. It's like a very like common advice in terms of, Hey, you want to get more email subscribers, use a lead magnet. And I think that because it's such a common, uh, such common advice, people kind of overlook it or they don't listen to it kind of like with uh, productivity, right? Like, oh, what is like the best productivity hack? And like in reality, one of, in my opinion, the best ways to be productive is like time blocking. But everyone's heard of time blocking there. So they're like, it surely can't be that, right? So like, tell me what the real secret is or losing weight. It's like, well, uh, watch your diet and, you know, eat 500 calorie, you know, being like a 500 calorie deficit every day. And you're going to like lose like a, a pound by, by the end of the week or whatever it is. It's like these super simple things yeah. that actually work really well, but people are like, well, it surely can't be that. So I've had that experience <laughs> where speaking with friends of mine who have big lists and I'm like, how did you build it? And they're like, I tested 20 different lead magnets and they all worked fine, but this one really hit. And I just kept doing that lead magnet, you know? 
So what, um, yeah. you know, from your experience, do you have any sort of advice around what makes a really good lead magnet, like specific types of, of content or resources to use as a lead magnet? I think one of the main things um, with lead magnets is you want to have a pretty clear outcome for the person who's downloading it. So um, what's really popular lately is Notion templates as lead magnets. I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with Notion probably, um, but Notion templates as lead magnets seem to be uh, one of the most popular things. So having the clear outcome of what somebody's going to get and how they are going to you know, get value from downloading your template, that is something that I see, I think a lot of people making a mistake of is they, they just say, download my free lead magnet. And it's like, well, where's the benefit here? Um, you know, you really need to sell it a little bit more. Um, the other thing that really helps with lead magnets in terms of virality is ones that are shareable. So if you give something for free, that's really high value that people can share, that is, that is really going to compound for you pretty fast. Um, anything that people can just share with a link. So, uh, quizzes and challenges are really, really, um, they spread with like, like wildfire because of word of mouth. I think of, you know, Jay Close's tweet 100 challenge which is, which has been one of his best lead magnets that he's ever done. Um, I think he, he shared the numbers for that. He got over 1500 new uh, newsletter subscribers for his newsletter, which is a really great top of funnel, um, customer acquisition for him. And so that was as he, I mean, there's a bit of work around it for sure, setting it up, but really he was just like, Hey, tweet for a hundred days, use this hashtag and join the challenge. And it was free. And it grew his list um, pretty significantly. So I think making something that is shareable and that there's a clear outcome are, are super important. And then also obviously making sure that there's um, a decent amount of value that your audience is looking for. Because sometimes people make lead magnets that no one's really you know, asking to have that problem solved, or maybe it's not even a problem. Make sure there's uh, some kind of need in the market for it. I think that's that's... That could be a mistake that uh, some people make, spend a lot of time creating a lead magnet and just fall flat. And how do you, so, okay, the next kind of big question is one of the really common places to use a lead magnet is like a blog post, right? Like, hey, here are uh, the top softwares to use if you want to run a podcast. Oh, did you like this blog post? Uh, download my checklist for what you need to start a podcast, right? And like, that's like a really great lead magnet because yeah. it's very much uh, about what the the topic that they came to read was. But in this case, if you don't have a blog, you like the newsletter mm -hmm. is your content, then where are you putting that lead magnet? Like where are you sharing it? Do you is it just something that you put up on on social media or do you have some better ways of getting eyeballs on that lead magnet? Yeah, so if you have a decent social media following, then that's a great place for it. If you don't have a great social media following, then it'll be obviously a lot trickier. Um, but if maybe you have a blog and you can share it there. So really you kind of need some kind of audience to share a lead magnet and get it you know, out into the world. Um, I think the other thing that you could capitalize on, depending on if you're willing to spend a bit of money is what I often see, um, I, like I, I make money with newsletter ads, for example. And I've had a number of ads in my newsletter where it's like, check out, you know, this newsletter, it'll make you smarter, you know, and uh, here are the benefits you get. But really what I think would have been better for that advertiser, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm learning this as I go, is if they would have promoted their lead magnet 
or a lead magnet, something of value that's downloadable. They paid for that ad with a lead magnet. I think that would have been a much probably better ROI for them. And so it's like not everybody, nobody really, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people don't want to subscribe to yet another newsletter um, unless there's, you know, really clear value there. So when you see a lead magnet, it's like, like you said, you know, the top, the top five platforms for hosting your, um, your podcast or something along those lines, then, you know, you see the clear value there. You're like, yep, I'm going to get that. I'm going to download that. Um, as the person giving away the lead magnet, you're not making money on that, but they're going to subscribe with the download. And as long as it's aligned with the content of your newsletter, then you should be able to retain those subscribers as well. And that's another thing we could talk about is misalignment with lead magnets to actual newsletter content. And I also think um, at least one that's worked on me really well, I don't know about others, but I, I assume because it works well on me, it would work well on others is, is um, like industry research because that's also something that's very shareable, right? So it's something that, oh, like you did research on the you know newsletter industry other people who are in that industry are going to be interested in sharing that on social media. So that's one that almost has, it's, I feel like it'd be easier to get not viral, but get others to share it in your industry because it is like a very valuable resource as opposed to, uh, here's my checklist for whatever. Right. Um, because there's, it's almost like a way to add value to that other person's, uh, audience as well. I want to ask you about, yeah, for sure. So I feel like we've entered, and and I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. Is like I feel like we've entered this new age of newsletters, where newsletters were a big thing when they first came out, uh, when like kind of like email marketing first popped up, and then they kind of died down. And like yes, everyone still needed a newsletter or like some sort of an email, uh, uh you know, some sort of email list. marketing to their business. <laughs> yeah, email list. But now I feel like it's become its own beast. Like there, we have all of these, you know, you mentioned Substack is out there. There's a whole bunch of these new age of newsletter kind of tools. What are your opinions on that in terms of not owning your, your I mean, you still own the list, but how, what do you think about mm-hmm. these new age platforms? Yeah, so I think that's a good good um, distinction to make too. You, you don't own the platform, but you still own the list. And so... The, the cautionary tale there is with Cody Sanchez. I'll just touch on this really quickly where Cody Sanchez wrote the contrarian thinking newsletter on Substack, And she famously got, um, basically got her, her, her account suspended or canceled from Substack because she was, I believe selling ads and to her hundred thousand, um, subscriber list. And Substack was like, you're using our free platform. You're making a ton of money and we're not making money from you. We're, we're axing you. Um, this is what I've heard. I don't know if that is exactly what the fallout was, but um, so the point is you still need to be careful and export your list on a relatively regular basis um, because yes, you de-platform or you de-risk your, your platform risk, uh, de-risk your platform risk. You remove yeah, yeah. platform risk by building a newsletter, but if you're not actually taking that onto your hardware um, onto your computer and downloading it, then um, you still kind of run that same risk. Now, what I wanted to say about, um, you know, these software platforms, it really depends on what you want to do, right? Like MailChimp um, started off because it was like the free newsletter or free email marketing service for small business, right? It's going to cost you $0 to start, not until you get your first, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 subscribers or send out, you know, 10,000 emails. And so it became like the de facto 
you're starting a new business, you get a Facebook account, you get an Instagram account and you get a MailChimp, right? Those are your free marketing tools. And so now other players have come into the fray, um, like ConvertKit, which I use, um, as well as uh, Substack, Review, Beehive, Ghost is another one. Uh, Ghost is a little bit different because of its, um, I guess it's kind of web hosting and website builder properties, but um, it really depends on whether you are starting a newsletter with more of a email marketing functionality or need, then you might want to go with like a convert kit or a MailChimp. I know it's a swear word here on this podcast, but they do have marketing automation. We'll bleep it out. Don't worry. We'll bleep it out. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They have more marketing automation and features and functionalities and tagging and segmentation and so on and so forth, right? All that marketing stuff that you need as a marketer. Um, If you're selling e-commerce, if you're selling um, even a service-based business, those are the platforms to use, in my opinion. If you're starting a newsletter where you're going to put it behind a paywall and you want to charge people for it or for every other edition or what have you, then you don't need to necessarily go with those. You can build on something like Substack or Review um, or Beehive or Ghost because those all have subscription um, features as well. I mean, so does ConvertKit and MailChimp, but they're a little bit of a heavier product, right? They've got way more bells and whistles than maybe what you need. So if you're like looking for editorial content and um, or like a curated list, like I, I started my email with my newsletter it was mostly just curated links. Um, those other platforms like Substack are going to be beneficial. You just have to keep in mind if you start charging people uh, for a subscription, putting your content behind a paywall, um, Substack's going to take 10%. <laughs> so that that's not exactly a small amount. So that's something you need to be mindful of when you do go through that. You're gonna you're gonna have to pay it one way or another. It just depends on how big your list is and how much you're willing to give up. What is your opinion on like paid newsletters? Because obviously, like the two ways to make the two main well, there's three main ways right to make money off of a newsletter. One is uh, yeah. ads, sponsorships, right? The other yeah. one is selling yeah. a product of your own or someone else's through your newsletter, like to your audience and, you know, affiliate or your own product. Mm-hmm. And then the third would be actually mm-hmm. getting people to just pay for the newsletter. What is your opinion yeah. on that? And what do you think about, like, I've seen some people who have like a free version of their newsletter and then they add on like a pro version of it that is paid. Like just, I, I would love to hear your opinion because I do think that this is like a relatively I just, it's not a new idea because there have been like paid newsletters for like ages and like decades, you know, but it's still in this way, at least I feel like it's, it's kind of entering its own, like, it's kind of like a new development in the last two years where yeah. this paid newsletter thing is becoming like quite big. So what are your thoughts on that? What, when is a paid newsletter right? Yeah, I really think that's up to the publisher. That's up to you as a writer. And for me, like the thought of putting my content behind a paywall, it like instantly my anxiety ramps up that like, man, I got to really publish something that people are willing to pay for now. Like I need to make sure that this content not only is like good enough to not get an unsubscribe, but good enough to make sure that they don't cancel their subscription and, you know, hurt my wallet. So if you're not comfortable with that, then definitely there's other ways to monetize a newsletter. Like you mentioned, selling a product or service that you have or an affiliate. Um, those are two great ways. And with sponsorships or ads, um, the, I guess the, um, the temptation is thinking like, well, if I could, if I have a list of a thousand people and I can get 10% to convert to paid and I charge them 10 bucks a month, then, you know, that's not a bad, that's not 
that's not too bad at all. That's a decent little side hustle that you've got going on. But at the same time, um, you kind of need to make sure that a, that you can maintain that quality of content that they're going to be willing to continue to pay for it. And so things like trends.co is, is one that actually there's two trends, trends.vc and trends.co, two paid newsletters um, that do kind of similar things. They both do reports um, and they both have pretty decent, pretty massive paid subscriber bases. Um, but they're, they take a whole team to build. And so really you need to think about, do you want to go down that road and really start forging out this path of paid subscriptions? And then um, you don't, you know, you can, you compare that with a SaaS model. SaaS model is like, you know, build once, sell twice. Whereas a paid newsletter subscription in my mind is like, it's just a hamster wheel where you get, you just, you can't just build once and sell twice. You have to build it and then like keep, keep that content train going. Um, so there's a lot of work behind there. So really, I think it's up to the person and around what kind of content they can provide. If you've got a big audience who's willing to pay for your stuff, then I think that could make sense. Yeah. On the flip side, like if you're doing, if you're trying to monetize your newsletter through sponsorships, like you need to sell those sponsorships. Right. And I think there's easier ways now than, uh, you know, in the past, like I know there's like places where you can literally say like, Hey, anybody want to sponsor my pod, uh, my, my podcast, my newsletter, you know, it's like 50 bucks or, or whatever it may be. So, yeah. uh, that's definitely become easier, but there's like pros and cons. And I actually think you bringing up trends is a really good, a really good example because, you know, trends, they started after hustle, right? So they had the hustle and that yeah. grew to be a very, very sizable newsletter. And then mm-hmm. that was always free. It was paid through sponsorships. So they got sponsors for that. And then they spun out something that was like super high level content uh, that took a lot more research, but they sold it to their already massive audience with what exactly like a sponsorship. So I feel like that's actually kind of like a nice way where you like start free, use sponsors. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to a certain size, whatever that size may be, like whatever you want to, whenever you want to do that, you spin up like a pro plus version of it or like a higher level one that is then sponsored, uh, which I think is, is, is a nice way of doing that. What is your, outlook in terms of like where do you think the whole newsletter trend is going like i said uh this has become very popular now Uh, a lot of people have like really great newsletters um where do you think it's going like do you think at some point it's going to die down again uh like you know we always see ebbs and flows to these things like just how do you what do you think about like newsletters in general yeah i think um I guess the first thought is so many people start things and don't finish them. Mm. And so with this, you know, the democratizing of access to a newsletter publishing platform like Substack, um, I keep referring back to it. I don't even use it, but it's just a great example. Yeah. And they were like a very, they were one of those first ones, right? So you keep bringing that up, bringing yeah. them up because they kind of launched this new version of newsletters, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you could create a MailChimp account before and start a newsletter that way, but it was, it was just a little bit more friction and, and not really something that people thought to do as much, but Substack really kind of put that to the forefront, the newsletter to the forefront. So what my expectation is, is that you get this peak of people who are creating new newsletters, starting new newsletters, and you're going to get this plateau. And I think 
as long as you are, if you really want to make a go at it, you just need to be consistent. I really think persist through um, the ebbs and flows of subscriber plateaus and a little bit of burnout. But if you stick with it, just like with podcasting, what is it that, you know, most podcasts don't make it past seven episodes or something kind of crazy like that. Yeah. Right. And if you can make it to 20, then you'll, you'll stand out. Um, you'll, you're already in like the top, you know, five or 10%. So I think the same thing ha- is totally true with newsletters that, um, everyone's going to start a newsletter, publish a few, a few editions, maybe get a little bit discouraged or disinterested. Um, or they start out way too fast. They, like, I'm going to do a daily newsletter and they start up, boom, 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 boom. They do it for three weeks and they're like, oh man, I can't keep up this pace. I'm out. Or I'm going to go down to once a week and then, you know, once a week happens and once or twice and they're done. So I think really what is going to happen is what's going to shake out from all of these people starting newsletters is the people who are really dedicated and really see um, a future in it and possibility with a business with it will stick with it. And the ones that were just kind of doing it sort of as a, you know, something that they would try, they, they'll fall aside, just like people do with starting blogs and starting podcasts and starting YouTube channels. This is kind of like a two-part question, because they, but I think they kind of go together. Like, number one, like, when would you start looking for sponsors? If somebody's listening to this, they want to go with like a sponsor, like, what have you seen in terms of like the minimal size for a sponsor to be interested? And then yeah. what are some places, like, I, I know there's, and I can't remember what it was called, but I know there's some places where you can almost like enter your newsletter as like a marketplace um yeah. where like what are some of those places that people can go to so again what size do you need to be at minimum in order to start looking for sponsors and and maybe like what sort of like numbers should they be looking at and then what are some some of the places where they can actually go to find sponsors okay great so um size wise let's start with that so i started looking for sponsors or advertisers for my newsletter at about 650 or so um subscribers yeah and how i did that was i went on a platform called um swap stack and swap stack is exactly what you just mentioned it's like a marketplace to um to connect uh advertisers with newsletter publishers and so i signed up for a free account um, Swapstack basically will connect you with advertisers. They'll the advertisers asked, "What's the minimum amount of subscribers that you're willing to advertise in? What size newsletter?" And then they enter that amount, and then you will see those newsletters if they fit with your um, newsletter size. So I had over 500, but under a thousand. I only saw and was able to connect with advertisers who were looking for that minimum of at least 500. Um, subscribers. Just out of curiosity, like how many brands were actually looking for that size of newsletter? Oh man, um, it wasn't a lot, <laughs> but I think there was probably a dozen or so on their platform. And I connected with one of them and um, they, I, I honestly can't remember if they reached out to me or if I reached out to them, but we connected. That was my first ad. I had like 650, um, like I said, about 650 or 700 subscribers at that point. And they paid me $25 for like a middle of the newsletter ad. And so, um, since then now I've over double the size of my newsletter and I charge, um, about for that ad would be about $89 now for one edition. So, um, just to give you an idea on numbers, but Swapstack is one is a great resource. It doesn't necessarily work in all countries, unfortunately. Um, but it works in North America and um, a number of European countries, if I'm not mistaken. 
a few other ones are um, Sponsor Gap is uh, another sort of newsletter ad marketplace. Would it be fair to say, and I know that we might be rounding numbers here, that if you have a list of a thousand that you can charge, because you said eighty nine, right? That you can charge like a hundred bucks per per post per newsletter. Would that be like an accurate number? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you could certainly try. <laughs> it depends on, I'd say also how niche and how focused your right. newsletter is, right? Like if you have a really targeted group of people, then you could absolutely do that. Like I think of um, uh, Lexi Grant who started, they got acquired and she had a thousand subscriber list and she charged five grand for her sponsors. But her subscriber list was like investors and, you know, larger business owners and people who are looking to acquire smaller businesses. So there was a ton of value in the thousand people on her list. So yeah. she could command a $5,000 ad price for her list. It totally made sense. Most people are not going to be in that situation. So if you are building a newsletter to consider uh, monetization, you know, think about the, the people um, who'd be reading your newsletter and where they are um, in relation to kind of their, uh, purchasing habits and you know what they're willing to buy b2b you're probably gonna you're probably going to be able to charge a little bit more for sponsors than just a regular b2c customer yeah also if you're in crypto you're probably able to charge like way more than everyone else i've noticed that i i think i looked at at swap stack actually once and i was like oh maybe i should start a crypto newsletter these people are charging four times as much as everyone else is like you know on their on their list and uh so yeah and that's actually interesting like even across platforms i have a friend who has a, a popular crypto youtube channel and he's like yeah man these companies are just like flush with cash that are like <laughs> looking to advertise which is uh which is really cool if you're in that industry you know of course um yeah what are some of like the best tools for building your, your newsletter? Like if you were to say, I mean, I know that we've mentioned a whole bunch of tools here, but what are some of the ones that you would recommend people look at if they're like, Hey, I think this newsletter thing sounds cool. Uh, I have a topic that I'm really excited about that I'd like to write about. I think I get to a thousand subscribers, start charging a hundred, a hundred bucks per, per newsletter, which I think, or per edition, which I feel like anybody like listening to this can be like, oh yeah, great. I can get a thousand, you know, subscribers uh, and yeah. start charging, making some money. What are some of the tools, the easiest tools for them to get started with? In terms of my actual send, I, I mentioned earlier, I use ConvertKit. And part of the reason I use it is because they kind of have an all-in-one. They've got landing pages, they've got forms, they have automations and sequences, welcome emails and all that stuff. And uh, noted, you have to be on a paid plan for some of those. They do have a free tier, but it's limited. Um, so if you, you're willing to pay, you get a lot more. And if you have advertisers for your newsletter, you, you can, you can uh, make that make sense. So ConvertKit's one. Um, that's, like I said, my main. And then one other platform I use um, for selling newsletter ads or inventory is Hecto.io. And they're also a newsletter marketplace, but I've never actually gotten an advertiser through Hecto. Um, I don't think they quite get the traffic that Swapstack does and that some of these other ones do. But what they do have is kind of like a built-in sort of e-commerce feature to their platform. So you create your newsletter profile, you can input your ad inventory and your pricing and however many ads you might have in your newsletter. I have three ads, like a premium top, a middle of the newsletter standard, and then a footer, new, footer ad. And so of course those are priced accordingly. And so hecto.io is a great tool that it, again, it costs you Nothing to sign up. You sell an ad, you pay them 5%. 
um, but you get to keep the rest of your ad. So it's, um, it's not too bad, but of course there's a little bit of a cost if you do sell. Uh, another platform is Paved. One really interesting that Paved has done, I believe it's Paved.com. Let me just make sure. Yeah, Paved.com, P-A-V-E-D. And what Paved does is they are another ad marketplace, but they have just introduced an ad, a programmatic ad network. So just like you would get programmatic ads through the Google ad network, Paved has set up, um, you know, you just have to put some code into your, your newsletter but you can, this works on ConvertKit. I've tried it. Um, you can input this code into your newsletter and your newsletter will have programmatic ads right in it. And then you get a cut of um, essentially like impressions. Um, so I, I haven't made very much money on that. And to be quite honest, some of the ads that uh, come on there, I'm not quite sure they are very well aligned, but that is a, that is a strategy you could go down or you could check out for sure if that was something that interested you. So those are a few tools. Um, some others I'll just talk about really quick are, um, I use Airtable to curate or save links for my newsletter. Um, and then I also use it to manage my ads. Um, I just use an Airtable for uh, setting up my ad management and tracking all of that stuff. And I believe those are those are kind of the main, the main ones that I've been using. Um, if anything else comes to mind, I'll let you know, but those are, yeah, that's about, that's about it. That's perfect. Well, Dylan, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to say thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing all your knowledge because I really think this is a, actually a really great business model that anyone can start and that can like really scale. I mean, we talked about some some companies that like the Hustle, for example, that is like a it's sold for many many millions of dollars. So it's something that you can start yeah. right now in in your living room. Uh, you can start it for free in some cases, but it has like almost unlimited scalability. So, uh, and you can start yeah. making money with it early on. Like we said, even with a couple hundred subscribers, you can already be making money. So I really think this is a great business model. Uh, if you have a topic that you're passionate about, uh, you can get started like right away. So thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing uh, with us about that. Where can people learn more about uh, your newsletter and about the things that you're working on? I know you have a course coming out soon as well. So when is that going to be out and, and, and where can people sign up for that? Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be, it should be out by the time uh, this is live. So all the information will be at growthcurrency.net and you will be able to find also other information on my Twitter account. Those are where I'm most active. Um, my website and then uh, my Twitter handle is at growth currency. I also have an Instagram account that I don't post as frequently on, but I do have some content there. Um, but mainly Twitter, hit me up in the DMs, happy to chat. And then also uh, my website is a, a great resource too. And if you had to, if you had to pitch your newsletter, what is the pitch for anybody listening mm -hmm. here who is like, oh, like what is this newsletter that I want to sign up for? Like, like give us the give us the elevator pitch of the newsletter. <laughs> okay, so it's Meta, right? Um, it is the newsletter to help you start, grow, and monetize your newsletter. So, <laughs> if you okay. are interested in the things that we've talked about, um, definitely check it out. It will be up your alley. Perfect. Well, Dylan, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an, a ton of fun. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yeah.